where a lot of engineering schools seemed to be similar in the sense that they were all really big schools and had lots of lecture-based classes, and then by the time you got to be a junior or senior, you might get to do a cool project, which there's nothing wrong with that, but once I got to Olin, it was a completely different story where it seemed that instead you were doing projects right from the start. Welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. I'm Tom Vanderark. Today we're discussing project-based learning. We're about halfway through a year-long campaign for more and better project-based learning. Bonnie, how are we doing? Hi, Tom. Thanks for that. This is Bonnie Lathram, and I am lucky to work with Tom Vanderark. We have published over two dozen blogs around project-based learning, and we've also published a couple of papers. Um, one that we released back in the summer called Preparing Students for a Project-Based World with Tom, myself, and Bob Lenz from Buck Institute for Education. A second one published more recently titled Preparing Teachers for Our Project-Based World by Tom and another colleague of ours, Emily Liebtad. Um, it, both the publications really make the case that a big majority of young people are going to be doing a lot of their work in projects. If right. you think that's, about that's true if they're freelancing or working inside an organization, uh, increasingly people are managing um, big, complicated work by chopping it up into projects and working on diverse teams and these short sprints to public products. Absolutely. And I know, Tom, too, on our team, we've been talking a lot about um, machine learning and all of us have been talking about sort of this whole concept of arti artificial intelligence. So I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts and connections yeah, between the two. Here's the big lesson learned for me this year. So uh, I, I went off on my personal learning project this year to study machine intelligence and to really understand the, the implications, not just in education, but uh, for the outcomes of education. And the interesting conclusion that I've come to is that young people are going to grow up working with smart machines, and they're going to live through a lot of change in their life, uh, economic and financial, um, but also um, natural changes. More disasters are going to happen. Um, so how to prepare them for an increasingly changing world. And I've come to the conclusion the best thing that we can do for them is is uh, introduce novelty and complexity, new things and complicated systems. And it strikes me that high-quality project-based learning is the best way to do that. So I hadn't anticipated this connection, but it's, it's really come full circle for me this year that project-based learning is really important, more important than ever. So it's interesting to hear you say that, and obviously, even before starting to work with you, I had been following you for a long time. And, you know, project-based learning isn't new. It feels like it's having its day in the sun, but it actually has been around for a long time. And when you were at the Gates Foundation, many of the grantees that you supported really had this strong and solid belief in um, and pedagogy around project-based learning. So um, when we think about it, it's 2016, and as you mentioned, you know, we're, we have a lot of complexity and novelty. What's new in project-based learning? Why is it, you know, sort of um, uh, hot right now? And then also, what are you seeing in terms of um, ways that this connects, connects with other parts of the education sector? You know, Bonnie, when you were a teacher and trainer uh, for big picture learning, you were really in the first generation of schools that incorporated technology and combined personalized learning and project-based learning. I think that's what's really new in this decade. And in addition to big picture, uh, we've seen a dozen networks that have done a really interesting job of combining personalized learning and project-based learning. The reason that's important is it's created on-ramps so that all students 
can participate in high-quality PBL. A good project-based learning has been uh, around in the suburbs for, for decades, but we've used the excuse that, uh, that urban kids, kids that grew up in poverty, uh, just weren't ready to uh, take on complicated projects that required more agency, more knowledge, and more skill. And the exciting thing is that blended learning uh, can help personalize instruction and really get kids ready to be active contributors on a project-based team. So we, we're excited to see this happening not only in uh, charter networks, but uh, public districts around the country. So yeah, it brings up a good point around um, successes. Obviously, you do visit hundreds of schools every year. So just curious to hear what sort of models of success and places that you visited or people that you're following in terms of project-based learning. We've been to Denver a lot this year, and there are uh, great district schools uh, like the Beacon Network and great uh, charter networks, DSST and DSISD, uh, and some very cool new uh, elementary schools there like Roots. We're big fans of Kettle Moraine and just featured Pat DeClotz on a recent podcast. This is a Milwaukee area district that's very thoughtful about teacher development and preparing teachers uh, to support both personalized and project-based learning. Uh, we're a big fan of Thrive, a, a San Diego network that does a very thoughtful job of, dis- of combining blended, project-based, and social-emotional learning. So we've talked a lot about the successes and and great stuff that you've seen, but you know when it comes to project based learning in the field, we've seen some challenges. What do you you know what's top of mind when you think about challenges to to doing high quality project based learning? Yeah, you you and I have both seen a lot of PBL, uh, and the the bad news is uh, it's easy to do. Uh, it's just hard to do well. Uh, so. It's common to see a lot of activities in schools, and those might be high engagement, uh, but they're not uh, as challenging as we might hope, and they they may not result in a high-quality public product. And we have found uh, the Buck Institute and their gold standard for project-based learning to be an invaluable resource and a great partner uh, in this effort to promote high-quality project-based learning. It's also true that, Tom, you and I are working on a publication right now that will come out in the winter called Preparing Leaders for a Project-Based World. Uh, what do you think about that one? I'm excited about that one uh, because uh, there, there's two really important reasons. One is uh, system heads uh, and and school heads um, need a deep appreciation for project-based learning to help create an environment that's conducive to project-based learning. But the second reason is um, shaping projects uh, turns out to be the best way to manage a complex change agenda. So both to uh, lead improvement and innovation in their school and district, we think they need to be expert uh, project managers. So uh, we think this is going to have a real double benefit. Fantastic. And it sounds like you just had a really great visit to Olin College in in the Northeast um, part of the United States. So we'd love to hear you kind of tee up what we're going to hear a little bit on this Getting Smart podcast about project-based learning in higher ed. Yeah. Speaking of great uh, project-based learning examples, uh, Olin College might be the best example that I've seen, certainly in higher ed and uh, in engineering. This is a new university. It was created 15 years ago. Uh, offers a variety of engineering degrees. And what's so 
exciting is uh, that from day one, students are introduced to real challenges, big integrated projects. Students uh, increasingly have voice and choice over uh, the, the nature of their projects. Uh, all of their projects are subjected to uh, reviews every few weeks. Uh, they, that teaches this uh, sense of iterating to a high-quality uh, public product. Uh, I experienced a level of student agency that I have never seen at a, a college or university before. I think you'll hear that in the student voices uh, in this interview. There's a lot of things that make Olin special, but it, it has a, a, a very unusual selection process. Can do you remember, Gretchen, all the way back to your first time on campus, and what was that like? Yeah, so the selection process is really unique at Olin. So they have you, you do a normal application for the Common App, um, but then they invite about 200 students who, from the amount who applied. I think this year is like 1,200-ish. Um, and they invite those students to Candidates Weekend. Um, there's three different weekends. And at Candidates Weekend, you, are, you get an interview, you do some group project stuff. And so it's about the school seeing if you're a good fit for them but it's also about seeing if you think that the school's a, big, a good fit for you. Since Olin's so unique and their culture is so different, um, they want to make sure that you really feel like you would fit into that culture and that Olin So did they give really you a bunch of standardized tests? What was that experience like? <laughs> no, it was, it was um, so you have an interview, an individual interview, and then you also uh, do a lot of group stuff. So they look at how you work with groups um, and how you work on your that own. That seems like a really unusual thing for an engineering school to do, to see how you look, work with groups, Yeah. right? So since group work is such a big thing at Olin, they want to make sure that's something that you can do, that's something you're passionate about, so that's something that you're comfortable doing. Because um, right off the bat, once you get to Olin, you're already working in groups. And throughout your uh, experience at Olin, you're working with group projects because Olin recognizes that as an engineer, you're not going to be working alone in an office doing your own little work. You're going to be working with other people. You're going to be working with the uh, people who are planning on using your products, you're going to be working with other people who are producing the products, um, so they want to make sure that you know how to work in a group setting and you know how to work um, with other people. So you knew that you wanted to go to engineering school, right? Mm -hmm. And why did you pick this one over the other schools that were in your on your list? Yeah, so I liked Olin's approach to everything, how it's all hands-on and how you are working with groups and it is from people to people as engineering really is. Um, and I liked how they really encapsulated all of that and you're not learning math or you're not learning science in order to learn science, you're learning it in order to apply it to what you would be doing with it. So you're not just sitting in a lecture class saying, oh, this is how you solve equations, now memorize those equations. You're sitting in a, a studio or sitting in a classroom learning. This is how you solve this problem. How, why would you need this? Why do you need this? And then you'd like apply that to a project right then and there. So you learn the material in the real world setting and then that helps you sort of like remember it better I think. Megan you live next door to a famous engineering <laughs> school why did, why did you uh, decide to come to Olin? And Olin really stood out to me where a lot of engineering schools seemed to be similar in the sense that they were all really big schools and had lots of lecture-based classes and then by the time you got to be a junior or senior you might get to do a cool project which, there's nothing wrong with that, but once I got to Olin, it was a completely different story where it seemed that instead you were doing projects right from the start. Yeah, tell me about some of your first-year projects. You have a class called Design Nature? Yeah, I what do. What do you do in there? 
we just finished up this really cool hopper project where we looked at insects that hopped. So grasshoppers, frog hoppers, I based mine off of one called a springtail, and we looked at how the mechanisms of their body worked, and we tried to make a hopper using limited tools off of that. And we wanted our hopper to accomplish a certain design goal, so I wanted mine to do a backflip, and it ended up, it ended up working with this trigger mechanism, it did all sorts of really cool backflips, slammed onto the table, worked like a beauty, I was happy with it. So do you get you get <laughs> lectures on how to build hoppers, or do no. you just get thrown in? Yeah, um, from the beginning, they gave us ideas about how to research, but it wasn't like they told us how to build a hopper. I definitely got a more of a just-do-it vibe, and m most of us didn't really have an idea of how to actually build something until we just started trying and seeing, does this work, or doesn't. That, was that really different from high school? Yes. High school, for me, were lots of classes. Sometimes we do labs, but it wasn't common to be building things that often. Uh, Sung, you went to school in New York City. Yep. And um, did you do any maker kind of stuff when you were in high school? So, in terms of official curriculum, not really. All of my classes were fairly standardized. I went to public school, so that's understandable. But I did do first robotics. Uh, and I think that impacted my decision to come to Olin because I was really, uh, I really loved the concept of creating something uh, like hands-on approach to learning and like just learning by creating something physical and tangible. So I think uh, that uh, my involvement with first robotics uh, impacted my decision to come to Olin. Was was it hard during your your first year last year to? take ownership of projects and to set direction rather than being told what to do? No, actually that's what I, I it wasn't hard. I actually loved that aspect of Olin. I think that was what I was looking for when I came to Olin. So what I was really looking for was like me even, to, uh, myself able being able to, to take ownership of what I learned and learn about what I want to learn rather than being told what to learn and I think uh, I, I was I really loved the fact that I can do that last year and uh, whole curriculum is structured to uh, whole curriculum is structured to encourage students to take ownership of their own learning and faculty members are very supportive of that direction of learning so I didn't have any uh, difficulty trying to do that and I think I as a, I, uh, retrospectively thinking back I think that helped me learn much more than traditional way of learning. What did you do in uh, first year projects that were memorable? So uh, so I took a, a design nature course, uh, which uh, Gretchen and Megan is taking right now, but I really loved the second half of the class, which was making a toy for fifth graders. And I really loved that because uh, it was my first experience trying to build something for someone that's not like for someone else. Right. So the whole idea of trying to figure out uh, what other people would want and how to incorporate that into our design solution was, that idea was very new and very novel to me. And it was in general very interesting and exciting. Yeah. Did you talk about empathy research? Uh, trying to understand customer-centered design was, or? That was definitely a key core uh, thing that we had to do during the class. Uh, empathy, trying to relate to other people, people that we are designing for was a key concept that was brought up a lot. Uh, I don't remember specific thing 
I don't remember specifically whether we learned specific like methodology to do that kind of thing, but that was definitely something that we had to do and had to learn over the course of the class. Sue, you're a senior here. What's uh, special about Olin? Just in general? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, so many things. Uh, it's kind of a weird place. Um, <laughs> the size, the size, I think, is... It's small, right? It's tiny. 350? Yeah, 86 in my year. Um, Could this work if it was 3,500? I don't would think so. Would it be so. the same? It would definitely not be the same. Um, I think that the community is a big piece of what makes Olin what it is. Uh, there's a culture of respect and trust here, which I don't think you see elsewhere, and I think a lot of that comes from our size. Uh, we have an honor code that is actually followed, which is apparently crazy when I tell my <laughs> other friends at other schools about that. But, like, you can leave your laptop in the dorm, um, and you'll, like, out in a lounge public space overnight, and you'll come back, and instead of being gone, it's, like, plugged in because someone noticed it was dying. Um so that that level of trust I don't think you see elsewhere and it's <laughs> so like that's that's one piece that I love and one of the big reasons why I chose to come here. So you've learned a lot about managing projects. You talked about that this afternoon uh, both the tools of project management but talk a little bit about that. Um, what, what have you learned about managing projects? I think a lot of that is actually more learning how to collaborate with other people effectively than explicit project management um, training. So understanding that feedback is a big part of a project, understanding that um, having a schedule or timeline for your project is essential, understanding that communication about what you're trying to get out of a project or what your goals are for the project across team members is essential. Um, so those things I think I wouldn't have learned in a more typical classroom experience, but I think are things that made me stand out in internships and other experiences. Uh, how did you get an internship at Microsoft? Um, so Microsoft comes to our career fair, and I ended up talking to a recruiter. They reached out, and I actually started after my sophomore year. I was part of the Explore program, which is half uh, software development and half program management. And then at the end of that summer, they say you can interview for either one, um, and I chose to interview for program management, and then I ended up going back there last summer to do that again. You do take humanities classes here. You said there's seven? Yes, right. we're required to take seven. Um, what are a couple of those classes, and what, what's your emphasis area? Uh, so I focused in music and society, so taking a music class, a sociology class, and then one in an intersecting area. I also took a psychology class, an anthropology class. I took a crossover class between engineering and anthropology called Engineering for Humanity, uh, where we learned some anthropology techniques and also some design techniques and built something for an older adult in our community. So that's probably one of my favorite classes that I've taken <laughs> so far. Let's circle back to talk about project management. Any, anybody else have a reflection on project-based learning? Um, something that, um, how has Olin faculty supported that? Framing projects, managing projects. So the first semester of your experience at Olin, they are trying to get you used to working in groups and trying to get you to learn how to most effectively, most effectively work in groups. So they'll like be right by your side saying, okay, so what happened in your group? Maybe what do you need to change next time? 
um, we had a project for one of our classes due where we gave a presentation to a few of our, our peers and like one or two professors. Um, and at the end of our presentation, the, everybody would give us feedback and say, hey, maybe you should change this, maybe you should have done this better. Um, so the first semester or so, they're working around you, trying to make sure you know how to work in groups and trying to teach you how to work in groups as best you can. The, the faculty here seems to care about who you are as a human being um, in, a, in an unusual way. I guess I haven't seen that at other engineering schools. You talk, Sue, about that that's in part because it's small, mm -hmm. um, but this place is unusually relational, right? Every, everybody that I've met here has talked about people to people. Mm -hmm. That seems to be central to the culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the faculty here are fantastic. I think that none of this would work without their humility, I guess, um, where they are always very upfront, like, we don't know everything, we aren't here to be the ones that know everything, we're here to learn with you. Um, and so I think that because of that, we obviously respect them deeply, but they also respect us as people who can teach them. Um, and because of that, we're able to have this feedback culture that allows our classes and each of us as individuals to improve. This seems to be a place focused on impact. Um, we, we saw lots of projects that seemed, um, some had a commercial aim, but many were aimed at improving people's lives. Is that a central theme? I think, yes, uh, well, you mentioned that uh, a lot of things that you see at Olin is focused on like impacting other people's life, and I think that is very valid statement. Uh, Sue briefly mentioned about honor code, which is basically five principles that we expect our students to follow all the time. And one of the principles is the phrase of do something. And I think that encompasses how Olin wants its students to, to be someone who can create something and impact other people, and I think engineering uh, is one, basically a tool to, engineering is not a, not a end result, I think only takes is a means to get to that uh, result, which is to create something that impacts other people's life in like, a positive way. Thanks to the people from Olin College and Tom Vanderark for insights on project-based learning. Be sure to check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, subscribe and rate us. For more on all things innovations and learning, check out our blog as well at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Bonnie signing off.